Welcome to the NDA podcast. We're here to challenge topics the industry has been keeping under waiver for years. Unfiltered conversation with no fear of being cancelled. Bringing creatives of different levels, different backgrounds, and very different opinions together. Debating the issues we only dare discuss over our Twitter DMs. So get ready for some honesty, because we're about to break all the NDAs. Hello. So we've got corker of a subject today. I'm with some of the best in the business and we're going to chat about it. We're talking about the dreaded scroll to the bottom of the page, the outlet for the industry. So welcome to NDA. This week's episode is Death by Comments. Like I said, I've got some top guests today. So a mixture of those creating the spaces for design commentary, the people leaving the comments and those at the mercy of the opinionated. So a real mixture. Um, We're going to kick off just with everyone introducing themselves and a quick bit of context about who they are and how they relate to the topic. So Tom, do you want to kick us off? Hi, yeah, good to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm uh, Tom Banks. I'm editor of uh, Design Week magazine. And um, yeah, uh, we we publish a lot of these comments. Um, So uh, yeah, hopefully I can sort of share a view on... um, when they work well and when they don't work so well. Hi, I'm James. I'm CEO of a company called Koto in the branding space. Uh, and uh, I am a reformed uh, common addict uh, trying to wean myself off them. Hey, everyone. I'm Liv. I'm head of design at a company in Sydney called uh, Eucalyptus. We're a health tech startup. I used to work in branding for the people. Um, I actively try and avoid the comments as much as possible while also resisting the urge to be a commenter myself. And hi, everyone. My name is Armin Vitt. I am co-founder of Under Consideration and editor of Brand New, probably the world's internet's most hated comment section online in the branding (laughs) industry. And I say that with a lot of pride. Legend. Um, So like I said, pretty good mixture today. Uh, I'm Katie Cadwell. My pronouns are she, her. I am the host and wrangler of today's discussion. As always, in this and all future episodes, I am impartial, just here to provoke and challenge if I can. Um, But I am also a silent stalker at the comment sections, definitely not an active participant. Um, So I think it makes sense to kind of kick off talking to Tom and Armin, as you're the creators, curators of these platforms. Um, And actually, the two platforms are quite different, in my opinion. So Tom, I would say Design Week is objective reporting. Would you agree that that's the kind of stance that that the magazine takes? Yeah, I think that's fair. Definitely in our kind of um, in our news section and uh, and project news, which is probably the most relevant for today. Um, But yeah, there are lots of voices across across Design Week. and uh, you know, in our, we also do a lot of kind of long read and in depth stuff. But um, I guess that's quite different where we're going out to kind of multi multiple sources. Uh, so the project news is we're we're presenting people's work, we're chatting to the designers behind it, and uh, then giving people the chance to sort of share their views uh, underneath the story. But the but the um, but the approach itself is objective. What would you say the purpose of the Design Week comment section is? Well, it's it's kind of. Um, I suppose it was initially it was kind of a legacy thing because when, when we were in print we uh, we had a letters page and then we were looking for a uh, you know we didn't want to just kind of 
passively put stuff out there. So we wanted interaction and, um, uh, yeah, uh, we sort of gave people a chance to, um, critique each other's work. And for a long time, uh, I think that was quite a sort of positive space. Um, but, uh, in recent years, I know we don't want to talk too much about, about social media, but there's definitely a, an influence of the kind of, um, more toxic kind of keyboard warrior stuff. <laughs> And uh, I think that's kind of bled into the, the comment sections a little bit. Um, but having said that, you know, there is still a lot of kind of constructive stuff there as well. Yeah, great. Um, so I think that brings us to, to Armin. And I would say that brand new is absolutely subjective uh, of your opinion and of the masses opinions. Um, do you agree with that? And what would you say the purpose of brand new comment section is? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Every post on brand new is my opinion and not because it's the best opinion. That's just what I started writing on brand new. And prior to that on Speak Up, which was her first design blog that started in 2003. And like Tom, I think it was a design legacy. No, not a design legacy. It was a legacy in a way in the sense that uh, speak up, have comments. That's what blogs were at the time. You had to have the comments open. And then Brand New just became an extension of that. And, you know, comments were open. It wasn't even a question whether we should have comments open or not. And it was part of the the main idea of what we've always wanted to do, which is provide a space where anyone can say whatever they want. And hopefully, uh, pro as professional a way as possible. As we all know, comments online easily, you know, they can easily devolve into non-ideal, uh, you know, uh, sentences and thoughts. But yeah, I think our, you know, the our main thing is like, if I'm going to share my opinion, there's no way I cannot let anyone else, that there's no way I cannot let others share their opinion in the same way. Yeah, totally. And I guess this might be a little bit of a question for both of you before we jump into James and Niv being at the receiving end of that. Um, what are the benefits to the kind of two businesses, I guess, that you run? What are the benefits to that engagement? I think um, avoiding one-way traffic and making sure that you're kind of representing your audience and giving them a chance to be involved. And um, when I said that Design Week's got lots of voices in it, hopefully we do that like across the whole of the magazine but um uh yeah it's in in the for a long time it's felt like a mistake to kind of turn that off and, and some magazines have and they've got reasons for for doing that and there is more engagement on uh on, on our social media channels now but um but it's still good to have the comment section there because it, it gives people that opportunity um and i think it helps put, put stories in in context um that's the upside yeah <laughs> <laughs> For us, the comments have always been as attractive to a, to the wider audience as the content itself. I think, you know, whenever there's a bad project, and we all know what those are, the expectations are that the comments are going to be lit and that you're going to come there just to see how mean some people can be. And, you know, I, I, it's not it's not something that's an ideal business model by any means or anything to be necessarily proud of and i tried over i have tried over the years to keep things as civil as possible and you know i think believe it or not most people most people will be like no one moderates this stuff and i still don't moderate it but i think 
from previous, from other years, um, or like early years, things have gotten better. So we try to, I try to keep things as nice as possible. Uh, but yeah, I think it's as much part of the uh, attraction of looking at design work and having an opinion about it, and then hearing opinions from a bunch of people that you don't know, but that they do share common knowledge uh, and you know shared experiences that we all have. So a lot of people, and maybe we'll get into it later, but I think a lot of people are very quick to dismiss the comments from brand new. But the, but my position is that this is what people are thinking, like whether you like them or not, whether they're well said or not, it is part of how other designers or how the public in general may assess design work. So the, you know, the way that it works for us is that it's just part of the larger reflection of how people react react to the work. So um, for us, it has worked wonderfully in terms that it, it draws crowds specifically just to see the comments. Uh, it can be negative in the sense that, especially on Twitter or Instagram, people will be like, oh, brand new is the worst. And they, what they mean is that the comments on brand new are the worst because I am the best, and we all know that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, people do often say like, "I hate, I, I, I like the opinions of Farmin." They're like, you know, I try to be as uh, even keeled as possible, and people do notice that. But what they mean is that they hate the comment section on brand new. So that can often lead to people just say like, "I hate brand new," and like, "Oh, you know." Yes, but no, please, because that's not an, it's not good for me to, for you to say that when what you hate is some people's comments. We're definitely going to come back to moderation as a, as a whole topic. Um, but before we talk about that, I think it makes sense to hear a little bit about what it's like to be on the other side of the coin. So like I said that Tom was kind of objective reporting, Ahmed was subjective. James, would you say that you are opinionated? <laughs> I am definitely opinionated as an individual, there is no doubt. I can't uh, step away from that. I think there's an interesting thing about um, comments, which we've got to the point where people want them all to be positive. And I don't fundamentally agree with that because I think criticism is a key part of culture. And if it's good enough for us to go on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes and read, uh, you know, the review or the panning of a piece of motion, whether that's like a TV program or a film, then why shouldn't our work as an element of culture be kind of equally judged in the same way? Now, that's not to say that I don't think some people have written some stinking stuff in below the line on brand new. And uh, I have been known, and I'm sure Armin knows this, to go and correct some facts uh, in the bottom of the comments on projects that I've actively been involved in. Um, which some people may find uncomfortable. But for me, I think, um, yes, loads of it's subjective. And if people want to hate our work, that's totally fine. But if people uh, kind of cast dispersions or are incorrect about something, then I'm pretty prone to go out there and maybe kind of set the record straight a little bit more. But um, I think for me, having been on the end of uh, a big rebrand that got memed and ended up being a uh, um, a song and uh, the number one trending topic, uh, topic on Twitter for a bit of a while. I feel like my kind of my skin's a little bit thicker when it comes to uh, comments. Um, uh, whereas I think I do sometimes feel for younger people out there who are maybe getting trashed below the line. I was going to say that is it easier to give it because you've had it? So once you've kind of broken through that watershed moment, do you find it easier to be a little bit? Um... <clears throat> 
more honest or more candid when talking about other people's work? Um, there is probably a relationship between the two things, um, but I was highly opinionated before I'd done anything of note probably as well. So I can't necessarily claim that the two are interrelated. I think basically my feeling when it comes to commenting on other people's stuff is that I'd like stuff to be great or to be better. And I think when I feel like an opportunity that's amazing could have been really realized and it's kind of pretty substandard, then I sometimes feel like it's uh, what I'm kind of reacting to is the, the the missed opportunity for us to be able to put something out in the world. I'm not doing looks likes or correcting people's kerning or any of those things kind of really objectionable things that people seem to do in their brand new comments. The My, my favourite of that genre is that if only you'd done this, as if like we hadn't spent hours and hours and hours coming up with something and there's a five minute fix. But I think if someone's to talk about, you know, the impact of a piece of work or, you know, uh, the possibility of something that exists within that, then uh, I think it's fair game. But yeah, maybe having been on the end of it, I feel more prone to do it as part of the discourse. I'm not quite sure. So I guess live as an active, um, you kind of stay well clear. Uh, maybe you can chat about one specific project that I know was reviewed on brand new, um, but then had a real contrasting entry into the community that the project was for. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so we, we we did a project for the people a couple of years ago called um, the Dome Valley. So it was place branding project um which on brand new was actually really really well received um i've got comments up here actually which i sort of screenshotted from the page at the time so a lot of like just amazing stuff from people people saying it really captured the region people said truly a masterpiece <laughs> winner best of the year already like it was just amazing feedback and I think to read that on that um that blog was extremely validating as a designer and it's really that's one of the nice instances of brand new don't get me wrong I've had my experiences of getting the bad comments as well but that was one where like the majority of the comments was were really really positive um the the flip side which sort of Katie and I've talked a little bit about and why I reached out about this um podcast was when we um, released the project to the community, we didn't really have the opportunity to do that in the way that we normally would have done. We would have probably put together some sort of explanation around the, the sort of elements of the, the identity that we were designing. And for those that don't know, it's it's actually quite a big, complicated identity when you think about it. For a place, it's you've got like it's sort of built on this idea of publishing and giving the people of the region back this ability to be storytellers. And so there's little publishing marks, there's nine times, I don't know, 20 different types of illustrations and icons and there's a lot going on. And, you know, ideally that was a, a huge toolkit to give people a way of talking in their own way about the place that they lived and to talk about the projects and the businesses that they run. But we we didn't get a chance to really explain it. it. Just by from the council, they sort of just put it on Facebook. And um, I mean, look, brand new is not sort of it's got some uh, reputation for the type of comments. But Facebook is a whole other world of people. And like, I've never seen comments like this before. And I mean, it was just a really interesting experience. I'll read out some of the ones that were my favourite. Kerry said wow, how much was spent on this? It's one of the ugliest designs I've seen in a while. It's not really 
inviting and exciting future, is it? Alex wanted to know, seriously, did you spend our council rates on this? It was a nice idea, but very poorly executed. This is one amateurish marketing emblem. Please get rid of it. People said it was a swing in the miss. Uh, Rachel, who is a designer, that she's she's self-confessed designer, said, I'm sorry, but as a designer, I can tell you that this is honestly the crappiest design I've ever seen. I can't believe you paid someone for this utter garbage. Like, honestly, it was a pylon. Like, there was so, so many. Um, There was the classic, like, I'm not joking, there was the a five-year-old could draw this. People just hated it. And it went on, it won awards in the design industry. Like we, it was one of our best projects that year and we were really proud of it internally, but to kind of see the way that people misinterpreted in the computer and these are people that we designed it for. And like, we, we do a lot of the due diligence in the sort of lead up to the project. We go and we immerse ourselves in the community. We run workshops. We try and get to know as much of the people as possible. And we did a lot of that, but it still seemed to be this like disconnect between like here's something that we've made for you that from what we've heard is a really core part of your identity and then people in the community saying this isn't us, this is really strange. I think like it was probably a product of not explaining what the reasoning behind some of those choices were and the actual project itself. And and there were like, you know, look, for as many people that commented on Facebook, there were a lot of people who told us that they loved it and in person and it was it was still well received in that sense and went on to actually really help the region with tourism and to get people visiting, which I think is really actually at the end of the day what it was designed for and, and what we wanted it to achieve. But yeah, it was it was such a strange experience because, you know, it I'm, I guess as a, like, I'm with my background a little bit in product design, I'm sort of trained to hear the voices of the people to be like, this is what we should be prioritizing and hearing. And then you hear the sort of design voices and you sort of need to sort of weigh up. Like it, it just, I think it brings out this sort of a bit of an external crisis of like, what is this for and who am I listening to? And, and what do I make sure that, you know, in the day as a designer that we're, we're sort of designing for. And I, I do believe that's people. It's not the d- reviewers in the, comment section we shouldn't really think about them when we design I think this opens up like a really interesting topic for me which is when we're concentrating on what designers and what our peers think of our work in general how often are we bringing in the narrative of the actual success of the project so obviously like Armin are you surprised to hear that that project was received so badly in the community because like I had a read of the review earlier and like you gave it a glowing review and the comments are you know, there it's basically like a round of applause in every comment. So do, do you know, like, what happens, how the project is received in general? No, that's usually something that is almost an unknown to me, other than what happens on, like, if there's a big press release or if there's a big, if it's a big enough brand and there's a big enough backlash, then I get a sense of what happens. But, yeah, I am very surprised to hear about how it was received especially because, yeah, it was such a great project to look at. And I think the maybe it was too good. And I think that's where it was just like too nice of a design, too um, too much to grasp, where when you don't have all the background or all the intention behind it or and sort of hear the story behind it, it might just be like, why am I looking at these fairy tale like illustrations that I don't relate to? So I can see how that could be a problem. Um, 
and I think that's an issue that happens for both with any project for both the the designer audience and the real world audience in that most people are looking at this without the context. Um, you know, we as designers and our clients as the clients, we've gone through this process, we've had the discussions, we know what happened behind the scenes, we know what led to things looking a certain way. And we assume because we've been in that process for so long that others will get it and they will infer all those things that we take for granted. And that that is where things go wrong, where where that intention is not as clear. And it's not that someone someone did a bad job or so or anything like that. It's just like that realization that not everything can be perceived the way we expect it to be at launch. Uh, so yeah, a lot of it is just being prepared for that backlash on the clients and on the designer side, like it doesn't matter. Like designers are going to design, you have to move on, you have to learn. But in terms of clients, I think that's where the managing of expectations and knowing what to do when the backlash hits is really important. You know, I think with Airbnb, most other companies under that amount of scrutiny, public scrutiny would have buckled and they would have been mm. like, no, that's it. We take it back. We did a mistake. We'll go back to where we were. But they had strong leadership. They knew what they were into. And I've seen countless other projects where the clients are like, oh, sorry, you're bad. Uh, you know, anything from Gap to a bunch of sports teams. So I think it's all about how you handle that backlash or that misinterpretation when something launches that defines the the outcome. Because eventually, anything that you stick with for a significant period of time, people will get used to it. You know, and they, they'll forget that they hated something with all their might for a mere five seconds of their life. You know, and so I think a lot of it is just realizing that all these opinions pass. And things, and you get used to things as they become part of the uh, of the visual landscape or the things that you interact with on a day to day basis. Tom, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd agree that there's definitely a kind of settling in period, particularly with with bigger rebrands. And if you split out the um, kind of designer criticism from uh, what the public think of something, and like some of those well known examples that you were just giving, then um, I think you just have to kind of uh, hope that uh, the people involved with the, with the projects are kind of broad-shouldered enough initially to um, uh, take some of that criticism and then it sort of moves on. And you mentioned the famous Airbnb one that we, James, were you at Design Studio? When yeah, I led that project. Was, yeah. was that? Okay, right. Well, that's a, probably a good one for you to pick up on in a second. But yeah, when we reported on that, um, there was a, in the, the first week or so, there were some not particularly favourable comments from from designers and from the wider public. But um, not long after that, everyone kind of understood it. And that was a uh, a rebrand, but also a whole new um, platform at the same time, wasn't it? And, and it stood the test of time. But then like lots of those famous examples are like the um, Paul Follins 2012 logo that everyone thought was... Lisa Simpson performing an act of fellatio and all those all those uh, <laughs> horrible things were said at the time. That's kind of become a bit of a classic as well, and that's like that's going to be ten years old in a in a month. So we'll probably be rewriting about that and maybe getting them to sort of reflect on it. Um, it just it kind of take there's a there's a, an, an initial backlash often, isn't there, and then it disperses. I read a thing on LinkedIn earlier where someone had put a quote up that said, "Evil can be fought against; stupidity cannot." And I think it really made me think when I knew we were doing this tonight about the fact that. 
I think ultimately a lot of the people that are commenting don't actually have like bad intentions, don't want people to be trashed or whatever. They're just frankly being a bit stupid about stuff um, and not really understanding the change, why the change comes from, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's my lens with which I've looked through all this moving forward is that it's the, the, you know, the evil comments are few and far between. It's just the plainly stupid ones where people don't understand what the company does or the rebrand or whatever. Sometimes we stick our um, hand in a hornet's nest where we manage to get a rebrand involved in a really well-known community. And my um, one wasn't so involved in this project, but another Koto project where that went really wrong was Discord, where we dared to change the purple. And I never knew that people could be so angry about the shade of purple. Um, and the internet went crazy about that one. So um, it can always catch you. The thing is, we didn't change the logo on that one, so I th therefore I thought it would be absolutely fine. But in this case, it was the colour that, you know, we had uh, we were out to get people with the colour change. You definitely seem to have a trail of projects that break through the stratosphere of designers to, like, ordinary, like, almost maybe my mum yeah. might come across it and then form an opinion because she's seen it on a Facebook group or something. I've heard you kind of speak about the backlash of Airbnb, but reflecting on that personally at the time, did you take that personally? What about the, the kind of younger team or, you know, it was an exciting project in the studio. Was there like a, was there a disappointment or a general kind of sadness that it was received so badly to start with? Uh, I'm like, so quite a few of the teams still work at Koto with me. So I know them really well. We've worked together for, you know, that's, we did that work nine years ago now. Not really, no, to be honest. Um, the youngest member of the team is my business partner and he was pretty uh, forthright about it as, as I was at the time as well. Because the thing is, it it quickly crossed into comical. If someone's did, like recording a song about the fact that you've done a logo that looks like genitalia, you have to be, you have to have like a massive ego to be not really annoyed about that. I think the thing, if I'm really honest, that annoyed me more about that project that it didn't make in book in the, in the DNAD awards, um, and I that's still the one that I was just like, just doesn't make any sense to me. That's just other designers being bitter for the sake of it, rather than um, being fair being fair about that. But you know, the comments about like you know all all of the commentary we had about you know someone, how have you never seen this? Could you have checked it? Blah blah blah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera it just kind of all washed over us after a while in a minute. You know, we had we had our moments where we were like, to Armin's point, a lot of clients were crumbled in, in the face of that. But it was a perfect example of me of uh, all publicity is good publicity. We were in this uh, space that they put together to kind of show the social graph and what was happening. And bearing in mind, this is kind of 2014. And so social was a lot more uh, kind of less evolved than it is now. We just watched the news stories were just driving traffic in the most unbelievable way. Um, and so I think that reassured them that they were uh, going the right way. I think also the fact that both the founders had studied design really helped us and, and helped us kind of understand that. And I think it, if that hadn't happened, that would be the case. But yeah, so for me, I'm still bitter about the award more than the commentary, if I'm honest. And one thing piling on, on not piling on, but following up on that idea of uh, how do other people felt at the time with that kind of criticism. One thing that I used to do on brand new, maybe five, seven years ago, I don't do it anymore because now people, when people submit their work to brand new, they know what they're getting themselves into. But if it was a smaller agency or a medium-sized agency and it was their first time on brand new, and if I knew that their work was going to get blasted in the comments 
And like, I know, I know when a comment is not, when a project is not gonna go well in the comments, I would tell them like, look, I'm happy to put it up. I'm gonna be fair in my review, but the comments are gonna go berserk and you might not be able to handle it and your designers might not be able to handle it. Do you still want me to put it on there? And then some people are like, no, you are, you know what? You're right, I, we, do not, we don't wanna deal with this. We cannot deal with it. Thank you, we'll pass. Other people are just like, all right, let's go for it, see what happens. Um, so I, I used to do that a lot. Now, yeah, people know what they are getting into. And with big firms, if I know that their work is gonna get, you know, uh, is gonna go bad, it's just like, too bad. Like, you should know better. You know, like you, you set yourself up for failure in this regard. So I'm not gonna give you a warning and you're big enough and you better need to hand, you better be able to handle it. It's like you're on your own now. I think that's yeah. <laughs> some, something that you something that you mentioned to me, Tom, is uh, occasionally people getting kind of back in touch once you've published something. And like, I'm wondering if Armin, you kind of get the same thing. So when you put work out there and maybe it isn't going so well in the comments, do you ever get agencies want to retract it or want you to change certain bits of it so it's like seen in a more favorable light? It used to happen often in the past. Uh, every now and then, something has to go really, really bad for anyone to ask. But yeah, I've had people, I've had firms ask, oh, can you take it down? And we're like, nope, um, you know, it's up. If I take it down, I'm gonna have to explain why I took it down. Yeah, so it's a different approach for us. I mean, we, we'd only, although we would only take, uh, we wouldn't take anything down and we only amend things if there are inaccuracies in them. Uh, it, like it's so rare for us to, to take a story down it would be an absolute last result and uh maybe if there was only like some kind of legal issue and the, the client was also involved for some reason i mean it, what, what what was being talked about before was interesting as well because i think um uh in my experience larger agencies tend to come in from for more more abuse probably uh whereas maybe our readers are a bit more lenient on um smaller agencies or, or smaller projects, but that's not like an, an absolute, but that's kind of a general rule, I think. Just because I know um, that James, in the past, you've been known to kind of wade in and defend the work. And I think, or maybe uh, clarify some points or educate might be a better way of putting it. Um, and I think you tend to do that as yourself rather than as Koto. Just wanted to know, Liv, like, because you are less of an active participant would you ever go in and kind of clarify or defend especially on behalf like i know the dewent valley project had some more like junior team members on it um yeah i've i've there's definitely been times i've wanted to like there's always those people in the comments that like james said it's the like oh but you could have done it this way or like why didn't they think about doing that and you really want to go back and say we spent days thinking about that and then decided to do something different but kind of to what Amma was saying, like, I think if you can't, if it's not explained in the way you've written about the case study and the way it actually is presented in the storytelling of a case study and the work, then like, if people aren't getting it from that, then they're not probably not going to get it from you rebutting them and going in and trying to defend the work. I don't think that there's a lot of, in my opinion, like a lot, it's a bit of energy that I think I'd probably like to keep for something else. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm probably the type of person that would get very caught up on that and I would hang on to it for a while. And like those don't valley comments from the Facebook community kind of stuck with me for quite a while. And I think if I got into a raging battle online with someone about the tiny details of 
you know, the kerning of, of a particular letter. Like I, it's not, I just don't, I think I have better things to do at the end of the day and I'd rather put that energy into, I don't know, making a project better or like learning from what we, I'm listening to the comments. I'm listening to what people say. I think it's not like I look at that and I'm completely dismissing what people say just because it's on the internet. Like I think there's always, you know, there's valid comments. I think particularly in the don't valley stuff, whether, you know, the good one, the bad, like I think there's always something to learn and probably rather than wading through comments, I'd probably rather just like take that learning and put it onto a new project and think about it that way. But in terms of like the younger designers who were on that project, I actually spoke to Lance, who's the illustrator who worked on Dermot Valley um, about this the other day. And because I was curious, I actually didn't remember whether she'd seen the comments or not. And when she I spoke to her, she said that she knew there were comments and that the team had sort of talked about it, but she just never actually went to look herself. And she kind of was happy with that. She's also quite a tough person, so I don't think that she would have been particularly phased by the comments. And I do think they sort of started to border into the ridiculous and kind of comical at points. And that's, I think, that line where you sort of realise there's a humorous thing. Like it's not something that I think at the end of the day is going to stop me from wanting to become or, you know, be a designer at some point. And I think we've sort of like seen enough of it to know like, yeah, just take it with a grain of salt. It's not into the world to hear that stuff but I do think that there's probably designers out there who really probably were crushed a bit by comments and that makes me sad because I think you know for for designers who are just starting out that could be a really formative experience for them and there's not a lot they may not have the sort of support structures to get them through that necessarily they might be a small agency they might be it might be like I said it might be the first time that they've actually put work up and they're really excited about it so yeah, I, it's, it's a tricky place to be. Like, I think, um, yeah, we need, we need sort of more conversations like this to sort of normalize comments and, and actually make people feel like, yeah, we can acknowledge them and we can see them, but we can also move past them if we need to. I think this might be a good moment to talk about moderation, which is obviously a tricky subject. I've pulled some comments. This was fun. I've got some on the Luke project that Kota did. So this is from Brand New. Luke looks like one of those sensitive, wokish guys that women tell each other to stay away from because he's actually a serial harasser. And then I got some comments from this week, Design Week's Cathedral City post. Uh, Steve says, completely pointless rebrand. So that's helpful. And then I'm assuming this next one is satire because Terry Tibbs says, this got me crying in the cheese aisle, mission accomplished. I think Terry Tibbs might be a regular troll. Yeah, I've seen him pop up a few times, but yeah. (laughs) Because that's one of the other things is like there's, there's constructive, there's having an opinion and then there's like borderline cruelty right so that one of the ones on the Dewent Valley and I kind of thought of Liv the kind of younger illustrator that worked on it this tiger looks like it's been doing a poo for about 100 years and that's just so it just makes firstly it just makes no sense and it, it just kind of feels cruel so I guess the question is to the whole group should we be moderating some of these comments that they're not necessarily silly. They Some of them kind of feel like they're intended to really insult. What do we think? Do you think we should be moderating some of these extreme examples? No, 
I mean, we we do we do moderate comments, but um, but with a few with a few exceptions. So we um, we don't take out like you know mean things necessarily, but um, we do take out really abusive things, or uh, you know, and sometimes really horrible like trolley stuff, like proper racism and misogyny. But uh, I don't really know why people bother coming to Design Week for all of that stuff. But there's partly a legal reason for all of that as well, that if there's anything uh, that's defamatory or litigious in any way about the project itself, Design Week can be held responsible. I can, so can my publisher. Uh, and it's a really fine line of, uh, you know, what's uh, what's defamatory and what's just fair comment. You know, if it's kind of low-key comment about uh, whatever happened to Terry Tibbs and the cheese aisle, then I'll probably approve it, but, you know. <laughs> I basically think, you know, to build off something that Liv said earlier, is I completely understand the idea of protecting younger designers, employ quite a lot of people that I would want to do the same of, but I also think we're putting work into the world. And so therefore part of that is that it will get feedback. It will get kind of thought of in a certain way, you know, and a lot of times it's because it's stuff that people care about now, cheese brands aside, which I'm sure people would probably, I'm sure loads of people would not even notice because, you know, that's just like an, an ongoing thing. You know, some of these things, people, you know, have got nostalgic childhood memories around them or they've got a sense of belonging about an area or whatever. And so therefore, in a way, they probably feel like they own it a bit. And so therefore, I think it's totally fine for them to pass judgment. And I also think as well, there's probably a division within all of this, which is other designers just trashing each other's work because they sound clever and funny and they want to do that versus the audience for our work who are justified in saying I don't like it and are allowed to be able to say I don't like it and I think if we try to create an overly nice world where you know only the um the good are allowed to uh, to kind of comment then I think we're probably making an artifice for our work in a way that makes it artificial in terms of the fact that you know most design has a commercial imperative that sits behind it and so therefore it needs to understand that and it needs to exist within it one question I had for Armin which is a bit of a divergence but have I noticed that the comments have got nicer since you put it behind the paywall? Yeah, it's a, it's a night and day uh, change because I think when when you took away the ability for any rando to come in and say like, oh, this sucks, like now I have to pay and go in to say that something sucks, like no way. Uh, so I think that what that what the paywall created is a, a division between the people that really care about the industry and about their own practice and people that are just like uh, going through the internet to see where they can create the most harm. Uh, so yeah, I think there, there has been a big change since the subscription. I put that down to um, after the pandemic, people were just feeling nicer about each other afterwards. But the paywall makes yeah, a lot more sense. So. <laughs> no, but I think there's a there's a little bit of that, and I think I I can't remember in what there was a post somewhere during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, or not the height, the beginning of the pandemic, where I said like, be nice about whatever we're saying because a lot of whoever was involved in it, they may not have, they may be isolated at this time. And I think that really did strike a chord in the sense that, yeah, a lot of people don't have that uh, shoulder to cry on, you know, metaphorically speaking. We're like, oh, did you see what, you know, they go gather by the water cool and be like, oh, did you see us getting shit on on brand new? Like now people are on their own and there's none of that support. And I think that does make a difference. And I think, you know, with so much crap going on, I think people were less inclined to make other people feel crappy. So a combination of the of the two things probably helped. I just want to ask if you moderate, Armin. So 
I know, I feel like I know you've been asked that before, but what what is the line um, for you to kind of delete comments? Uh, someone has to be a complete asshole to someone else on a personal level. Uh, like if someone if someone comes up with like a witty, clever remark that is mean, I don't know, like that's fine. So it's only when uh, when it borders on a personal attack that is completely uncalled for, that has nothing to do with this, the design. And this was the most apparent uh, with any time Paula Shares work isn't brand new, people just come out swinging. It's like, what the heck is wrong with you people? What do you have against one of the most uh, celebrated designers in the industry? And I think that's part of the answer is like, oh, we want to take her down a peg. And if we just come down to like really annoying, obnoxious uh, attacks on her, they should like, all right, that's it. That's where I draw the line. Like you're, you know, coming on the work, they'll come in on the person. And every now and then, like, people will have bickering in between them, and they'll be like, oh, your portfolio sucks, so you shouldn't be saying bad things. Like, well, your portfolio sucks too, so you shut up, shut, up, shut up as well. So I think that's where it just gets really annoying, where it's just, like, petty discussions that don't really add to it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, like, I don't think I've deleted a comment in years, and I think I've only banned maybe two or three people in 15 years. So, so you have to imagine they had they were real obnoxious people that just are just like I couldn't take it. And someone recently I said like you either cut it out or I'm gonna get, you know ban you from the subscription service. Like I'll give you the money back. Shit, I'll pay you to go away um, just because <laughs> they were being so obnoxious. And since then they've been more calm. So every now and then like stepping in does help. I feel like Tom. Yeah, you had a similar experience. Well, I, do, I just uh, we we get a kind of a, a an extra level of abuse with uh, pentagram projects for some reason and like kind of particular partners, but um, uh, yeah. I just got a couple of comments that are so positive, and I thought would be really nice little interlude because we're just talking about all the trolls. I mean, everyone's had lovely work on um, reviewed on brand new, but the for the people story project, which I do love. Tristan says. Didn't think a mock-up of a receipt would make me choke up on a Monday morning, but here we are. Beautiful. So poetic. Um, John Mason, came here to hate on the word mark, but fell in love instead. Impressive. So we're out here wooing people in the comments occasionally. And I just wanted to talk quickly about the that every um, article that was on Design Week and had a lot of traction in the comments and I think it was interesting. Um, Rich said this article is such brown nosing. So I think that was kind of aimed at Tom, you or one of your team um, feeling like it was kind of favoritism or they disagreed with what you were saying. Um, but then I thought really interesting is a lot of the comments were about the, the company itself. So Elaine said, yeah, I've been mucked about by this company and the snotty cow at the depot needs sacking. So what about when the it moves away from being about the work and about the company? That's kind of like the morality of taking on the client itself, which feels really, that feels different to me than design critique. And James, I feel like you had a little bit of that for the Fiverr rebrand. Yeah, so I wrote an article for Creative Review, the sister publication of uh, Design Week on the Every rebrand. And in that article, I said that I felt that Every were giving rebrands a bad name because what they were doing was they were trying to gloss over their service issues with 
shiny new vans and a shiny new name rather than actually getting to the fundamental fact of the fact they're one of the most hated brands in Britain and rightly so. Um, I just said it a bit more eloquently and less uh, part than that. Yeah, the Fiverr rebrand, I, my number one highlight of that is on my personal Instagram getting a message where all it said was scab, um, no which was quite pointed as a piece of uh, feedback because it was felt that by rebranding Fiverr I was somehow taking jobs away from uh, people where as I pointed out on the couple of podcasts I've done since about that rebrand what I was actually doing was taking people away from those uh, business card machines that you get in uh, stationery shops and stuff which is no one who wants to spend 50 bucks on getting um, a brand done on Fiverr is going to be going to somebody in the US or Europe to get a full branding scheme done. But yeah, it was really interesting, a completely misunderstood uh, product and service. Uh, and I could talk about that for a whole podcast, so I won't. But that was definitely one of the ones where the vitriol was out and, and the knives were out. And um, very interestingly, I felt yeah. that people just didn't really understand what we'd done, why we'd done it, the product, the service, what they're, what they're doing. it, And we were basically um being put on the line as if we were akin to having branded a nuclear weapons company which seemed slightly unfair both at the time and uh since i just to jump in quickly like i think um it's been really interesting moving from agency to in-house in this last year and i think um previously the sort of feedback that we saw from our clients around like how well something got implemented or how well it was received from the audience was really all like we would really, the only sort of feedback we got was from the client directly, like what they sort of moderated to share with us, like comments and feedback and that sort of stuff. And now working in house, like you sort of had this real time feedback a bit more. And I find that like, I'm much more concerned about the comments that we see from, you know, a customer service or the people that are interacting with our products and services every day and are leaving reviews across the web. We have five brands that we manage. And so across the five of those websites, like those are much more interesting now and are interesting sort of like points of reference um, for like what's working, what's not working more so than the comments in a review section now for me. Like I think up until recently that was probably the most that we got in terms of like understanding how it was received but now we get that like every day and it is like interesting just to compare those two sort of yeah points of reference because I I I guess I hadn't really thought about it up until then and getting that sort of immediate feedback. Going back to the question about the um, separating the company from the design I think it's impossible and I think that's a good thing and it's the main reason why from the beginning and over the years for brand new, I have always tried to only cov cover work that is for clients that people know, recognize, or even if they don't interact with them on a personal basis, they're big enough that they can relate to them in, a, in an emotional, experiential way. It's something that feels familiar. And I think that's because then you can... I think that's where you can interpret more things from the design and assign them back to the client and, or to the company, business, product, service, whatever it is. Uh, so, for example, Facebook. Anytime Facebook does anything, whether it was when they introduced Facebook, the, that uppercase wordmark, or when they changed their name to Meta, people were like, 
no matter what they did, people are going to, this sucks because it's Facebook and Facebook is the, the devil and we're going to hate on this. The truth of the matter is that the, the design has always been decent. It's never been horrible, but because we have so many bad associations with Facebook, we assign that to the work. So I think they go hand in hand. And I think, you know, to go back to that every example, like me not being very familiar with every, because I'm in the US and I haven't experienced their shipping uh, 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 proficiencies or lack thereof. To me, it was just like, it's a fine design, but I can see how, like based on the comments and based on the little research that I did, like, yes, the, there was a clear sense of like, let's just, uh, you know, sweep things under the rug and just try to pull a, a quick one on our audience by changing the name. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's all, it's related and it's important to keep them related and allow people to just have those feelings because that's how they're going to interact with that brand in the real, in real life. An interesting thing that I think, thinking to listen to Armin then is, is I feel like companies are rebranding more and more often and it's speeding up and we're seeing brands come out quicker than we ever have in the past. And it, I wonder what it's going to do to the audiences, whether they're going to see branding as something that's less shocking and less change-making because they're just used to people evolving stuff all the time. I think it's driven by people like, you know, Instagram announced today that they've refreshed again. I think, you know, for some Instagram users, that's probably like the third or fourth iteration of their brand they've seen. Maybe they didn't notice, maybe they did. Um, but I think within that, I think it's conditioning the general public a bit more to this idea that things change and things evolve, where in the past, you know, corporate identity projects would be that your bank would have a logo and it would have that logo forever. Now, you know, particularly in Europe, high street retail banks seem to like fiddle with their brand constantly, always changing something, always updating something. And so I'm really interested to see what that happens with the discourse around branding. I think we're still a bit early on it, but in like maybe like three, four five years where I think maybe the commentary and the kind of hating on stuff might be a little bit less just because people are just a bit like, oh, I'm over that. And, you know, we'll have some other obsession that we're really fixated on as a society. I was going to say, I think that's an interesting side note. Like I, I think when I started my job at Eucalyptus, um, which is like a tech company, like I think the way I talked about brands there was like software releases. Like I think what happens when you just do like updates and it's like V1, V2, V3, and you're actually just iterating every time on it. And I, I actually think that's just like a really interesting um, place that we might get to in branding. One thing that's interesting about uh, how brand new has evolved, or not how brand new has evolved, but how the other media around brand new has evolved is that when I started, no, no other media covered logo redesigns. No one cared. And now I'm competing with Wired, Vanity Fair, late night shows on TV are covering logo redesigns. Like Jimmy Kimmel will go out on the street and be like, what do you think of the new Hillary Clinton logo? And people will have opinions, like random people on the street will have opinions and that didn't used to happen. So I think that idea of people getting used to change because of more exposure in mainstream me media does have an effect. And it used to be that change was something that only big corporations did, that only they only did it was when something significant happened, is changing. And then I think there's more of uh, you know more of an acceptance of change, even if you know even if people hate it, if people hate the idea of change and they hate it in the moment, they get to used to it a little bit more quickly. At the bottom line, with with everything else, with all said and done, money and 
making turning business into unicorns and all the other stuff that our work is supposed to do and change the world when it comes down to it do we just care about what our peers think ultimately like being in book or getting a good review or being nominated for a design week award I, I used to, but then I don't enter design wards anymore, so obviously don't anymore um, for the reasons mentioned earlier. I think ultimately, yes, it's like nice to be liked by your peers and for the work to be celebrated, but ultimately I think you're being far too short-sighted if that's your driving currency when it comes to the work in itself, and I think you'll just keep yourself in a, in a ghetto um, because it won't have the success that it needs to have. So... It's definitely a third or fourth priority for us at Koto. I agree. I think if if your success metrics are good comments on a review for a brand piece or any work that you're doing, it's you're kind of missing the point. Like it really at the end of the day is about the point of a rebrand or the point of a new brand um, and what that relationship is like with the audience that's actually going to be using it. I do. I. It's hard. I think on one side, I think. Um, empathizing with younger designers who are looking for some sort of validation, understanding of where they sit in the world, that could actually be really helpful for them. And I do think like if I think back when I was a younger designer, I think those sorts of comments actually made a lot of difference and that built the confidence. And I think as, as designers, our confidence is sometimes can be quite fragile. And I think building that up actually is, is actually a very valuable tool that you might not even get in your workplace, depending on where you work. So I don't want to say it's not useful or valuable. I think it is actually can be really helpful for younger designers. And I mean, look, I find it still quite validating sometimes, but I do think that like it's the difference between, yeah, understanding whether the project was successful based on that. Like it, it should, there's, there's so many other metrics and there's so many other reasons why we do brand work and it, it, yeah, it shouldn't be for other designers. It should be for the people that are actually designing for. To pick up the, your point there as well, Liv, I think to kind of connect it to something else that was said earlier as well is why a pentagram easy, easy for people to target is because I think pentagram have been successful for a long period of time. And so they're seen as this kind of like, you know, they're the man in, uh, in design terms, this kind of thing that we love to rail against um and so therefore i think that's why people attack their work but also because you know people love have this underdog spirit particularly in design thing and i think at koto we noticed a thing that was very interesting when we first started and there was a kind of like six or seven of us we would have much more kind of like universal praise for our work whereas um now when we release work out particularly on brand new i can quite often see in the comments to be like oh yet more koto work or same same stuff different day or whatever you know this is kind of like disparaging thing growing. The bigger we get, the more we get that kind of commentary. And so I think there's an interesting kind of tall poppy syndrome thing going on, which is if you're perceived to be big or in any way successful or whatever, then particularly in the design industry, let's cut them down and get them down to size. So I'm probably on a destination Paula share at some point in the future. All in due time, James, all in due time. <laughs> but uh, to Liv's point, I think the validation is important. I think you get, there's two elements of validation. One is a happy client, a client that comes back to you, a client that refers you to other clients. I think that is a professional business validation that is very re rewarding. But I think the design validation from the industry is important in that it 
it gives you a sense that you do what you're doing is right. It's not only right for the business, but it's right for the industry, that it's original in some way, that is engaging, interesting. Uh, when you give the people that feeling like, oh, I wish I had thought of that, um, I think that just validates that the, whatever process you're going through, and I think we all question our process because there's no formula to it. We're all just sort of winging it. When you when that process is validated by other people going through that same uh, uh, uncertainty about how they do what they do, I think it, it is important. I think it val it it gives you confidence to then do more, you know, better work for your clients. So I think it's a uh, sort of a, a vicious quote unquote cycle that does benefit in the end your client, which is your clients, which is I think what it comes down to very much in the end. But I think like if you play any sports team, you know, I mean you just go out and play and no one pats you on the bot for a good play, like, you know, am I not doing things right? Like there's nothing more satisfying than making a good pass. I'm talking about basketball because that's the team sport that I used to be play or if you make a good shot and someone pats you in the butt that's the best feeling in the world yes i scored a three but it's that pat in the butt that is just like that's what i take back home and that's what encourages me to keep shooting threes or passing so my metaphor is getting really weird but i think that the <laughs> idea is that you do need validation for your peers to a certain degree um so yeah i, I do see value in it Great. So I've got a big last question. I'm going to put Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to make everyone answer this. Does the free-for-all design commentary, design critique have overall a positive or negative impact on our industry? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we're, we've been focusing on the sort of uh, kind of polarised positive and negative things quite a lot and I think um, when comments are at the best there's there's some debate there as well and hopefully if anyone is going to kind of take any take anything away or are there any learnings from it it's, it's probably there um, I mean uh, when I said some people have done away with comment sections uh, I, that's mainly because they've got a bit fed up with them and, and I know Creative Review don't have theirs anymore um, yeah I mean I still feel like it's worth having hours and it's like, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's the, the generally kind of healthy comments and some, some good debate. I don't really mind if they're sort of positive or negative. A lot of it has moved over to social media, but um, yeah, I think it still it seems like a healthy thing at the moment. Yeah, I think it's positive. I think anything that sort of bounces back, you put stuff out and you want to know what impact it has. So I think hearing whether it's good or bad how that is perceived by others outside of the bubble that you worked in i it helps not either validate or invalidate or at least confirm your suspicions about what is good what is right um it gives you an impression of how others see or think or talk about work i think that just creates a more the it just creates more things to use as points of reference, as things to work on. So uh, to me, it's, it's, it's all, it has a positive impact. I think um, from my perspective, I think even the comments that we had on Facebook are, are positive in the, in the long run. And I think the way I see it is definitely what I'm saying, like the sort of validation and everything. Like, I think at the end of the day, there's still like a lot of positive take from it. But I, I think the bigger thing for me is that we – I think we're getting to a place now where more and more people feel like they can talk about design and whether that's good or bad, like 
I like this world where that's something that people care about and people talk about. And I think then the flow on effects of that are that, you know, design has a bigger place in organizations and in the way that products and services are built. And I think that then if people care and they know more about design, they're holding companies more accountable to having better design. And so I like that there's a potential for that kind of discussion to to push design further. Yeah, I think if we're in a world where people think this stuff and it's real and they're used to being able to have discourse online, then we need to accept that that's the reality that our work exists within. And so therefore, for me, I'm in favour of it because it's real and I think we need to be real and authentic because one of the biggest challenges with the internet we have going forward is the kind of facade and the fakeness uh, and I think there's something about breaking that fourth wall that exists if we um, if we can kind of continue to have that. We shouldn't be trashing people, but we should be talking about it. And just one last thing uh, to Liv's point about other people being more, you know, better versed in design. Another thing that has changed and brand new dramatically is when we started, uh, you know, five, five, ten years ago, there was so much bad work. Like it was an exorbitant amount of bad work from clients that should know better, from design firms that should know better. And, you know, at the end of the year, I would always have like the best and worst list and best, I would have like 10, 12 selections and worst list, it was like 20, 30 deep of really bad work. And in the past five years, like it's really hard. I have to really... I have struggled to find really bad work worthy of putting in a worse list. There's a lot of fine work. There's a lot of mediocre work. There's a lot of work that gets the job done in an efficient way, but bad work sort of has gone away. And I think that has to do with this bigger discourse of more people in marketing positions in you know, VPs of marketing, you know, uh, CMOs, that they understand the value of design. And I think that has been... Uh, I would say a direct repercussion of this being more broadly, uh, not accepted, more broadly understood and even uh, more broadly appreciated by a broader audience. Also, if you if you really want to unleash hell in the comments section, write about um, football rebrands, football crests. That's where like they've, they've been the most uh, historically divisive. Yeah, like and that's when that's when people start having a go at the journalists as well and come up with some really wild conspiracy theories again. There was a creative review one once about um, Everton, and uh, I think they've been in there. It was a, it was done internally, and it was very unpopular because there wasn't fan consultation. And um, uh, Mark Sinclair, who was working at CR at the time, yeah, just had loads of like a sort of stream of abuse. Uh, Shove it up your ass, Sinclair, was the one that I remember most most clearly. Yeah. Wow. I love the theory that us, that the design um, blogs are actually another way of keeping us accountable for good work. So love that. I think we could carry on talking about this literally forever, but we're on three different time zones. So um, I think we'll call it there. Um, absolute legends. Thank you so much, everyone, for chatting today. Uh, really appreciate it. Which brings us to the end of the episode. So if you're still here, big thanks. You know what I'm going to say. Please hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. The other thing you could do to support us is leave a review. 
So if you fancy being involved or know someone who would be great, our DMs are always open. Also ears open for topics and things you want to hear us talk about. Banging soundtrack by Jamie Alal and Toby McLaren. NDA is trying to be as accessible as possible. So all our episodes are recorded remotely to try and alleviate the need for travel or equipment costs. We're also uploading to YouTube with closed captions so you can find us there too. If there's anything else I can do to give you better access to the podcast, please just get in touch. Finally, my personal thank you to Katie from Creative Boom, James from Be Heard for all their time and effort helping me start this podcast. I'm Katie Cadwell. This is NDA. Catch ya.